We have a four-storey house. No, we don't. We have a three-storey house. And the basement. That's not a story, though, it is it? It's is. a basement. It is. You go in on the ground, down to the basement and up to. That's yes, a four-storey house. No, it's house. a three-storey house because it stands three storeys <sighs> off the floor. I think we're splitting hairs here. I don't. I, we don't own a skyscraper. No, but we do have... Okay, we have a three-storey house. With a basement. Where and we the keep furthest the bodies. she goes is upstairs, not up upstairs, which mm, is where fair. the recording studio is. Yes, we're on the up up at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm. It I, sounds very grand. Yeah, it's it is. It's, Fuck it, people can't see it. It is. It's incredibly <laughs> we've moved grand. into a manor house. It's a it's a Georgian townhouse. You know, you know that's a Georgian townhouse. What's house. it called in Bath? The lovely. Oh, is it the Crescent? The Crescent in Bath. Is it the Crescent? Po- possibly. Imagine Half that. Moon. Don't Imagine those houses and then pretend that those are the houses that we've moved into. Yeah, there's an out like that up north. No. You, now. These are, you get to it... about Birmingham and, and stuff like that just disappears. Just mm. the, That's where the money stops, you see. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with this story takes place in the Victorian era. They look right. black and white as far as I can tell from the footage that you get from the early Victorian era. <laughs> yeah, okay. The world was black and white. Yeah, right? everyone only wore monochromatic colours, I'm uh-huh. pretty sure. And this particular story, Em, uh-huh. it starts on a steam train. What kind of steam train? Where's it going to? Well, we'll get into where it was going oh, to. Oh, Joe, I want deets before you even start. What kind of train was it? What class of train? I I don't What's know. What's its number? I don't know. What colour was it? Grey, possibly. You've already disappointed me. Well, let's see if I actually no, put it in the script. You've, you've just thrown out steam train. I now can't envisage where they're going because you haven't given me steam No one's going deets. anywhere yet. No, we're not. It was Saturday the 9th of July, 1864. Mm. And Mr Briggs was on his way home after having had tea with his niece in Peckham, London. He'd gone to have tea with his niece. She cooked him a nice haddock. He'd eaten it up nice. Did he live on the Nelson Mandela estate? This is pre-Nelson Mandela estate. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, he was um, of money and I assume he saw his niece right. Because despite Book being... History. Despite being 69, good age, nice. Thomas Briggs still worked in the city of London at the bank of Roberts Curtis and Company on Lombard Street. Okay. Which is about half a mile from Fenchurch Street Station. Okay. So we're talking monopoly levels of London. We're just talking inner London then. Yeah. Okay. After a lifetime of diligent service, Mr Briggs had been promoted all the way to Chief Clerk. Mm. Mm. This was obvious to anyone who saw him by the large bag he would always have on his person to securely transport cash, stock certificates and bonds. Very good. Yeah. He was a very trustworthy man. Mm Mm-hmm. He also, because he'd, you know, he'd worked hard for these things, insisted that he was always wearing a solid gold pocket watch and a bespoke silk top hat. Right, well, to me, he's already a bloody target for muggers. What makes you say that? What, the the goods? The, the fancy goods that that man has about his person, the fact that he's chock full of stocks and bonds. Well, no, he just has a bag cash. that may contain stocks, bonds and cash. It may not. It may contain his underwear. No. Who's taking their underwear to a bank? 
That's not what I keep in my bank account. I don't know what you keep in yours, but that ain't what I keep in my bank account. Well, he was wearing his top hat and carrying his bag as he made his way to Fenchurch Street Station at around 9.40pm to take the train Mm. from Fenchurch Street to his townhouse in Hackney Wick. So much like us, he's living in a townhouse. (laughs) I think his is a bit more posh than ours. Possibly. Definitely. Mr Briggs bought a ticket for the London Railway. Okay. It was a company preferred by bankers from the city as it had made the choice to only provide first and second class options in order to keep away the riffraff. Oh, do they have just like literal riffraff trains or do they have the omnibus? Well, they still had the omnibus, but also it was a case of, well, what if you're operating a service and these were all little sort of services that were set up as private companies. Yeah. If you're operating a service that's going from central London to the suburbs, mm. as was. The burbs. You know, all all the poor people don't live in the suburbs, so why no. would they need to get on the train anyway? And you can maximise your ticket prices. You can have less people that you're serving, but you're making more money because you're only selling first and second mm. class tickets. Okay. Good point. Well made. Mm. When the train arrived in Hackney at just after 10pm, Two other bank clerks, called Sid and Harry, were waiting for it. Mm-hmm. They had decided to spring for first-class tickets as a special treat, and they saw the carriage directly behind the locomotive was completely empty. Woohoo! Bar a black bag that had been left under one of the seats, which today would be a bit of a red flag. But back then, I don't think there'd been anything no. like a concerted bombing campaign. I was just or... going to say, no, I, I, I was just kind of like chugging through my very limited history knowledge there yeah i don't think there was like ira bombs in bins etc etc and you know well this is is pre-easter rising this yeah anyway it was a more innocent time in some ways because they Mm. noticed the bag and they just went yeah it's fine no need to tell the attendants or anything we'll just we'll just get on nice empty carriage all to ourselves Mm mm-hmm So they clambered in and settled themselves on the plush, plush seats. Nice. Mm. But while the abandoned bag didn't bother them... No. ...the slightly wet seats did. They were even more bothered when they realised that the liquid that had saturated the upholstery was clearly blood. Fresh blood. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. There's been a murder. Well, there's... Blood hath been spilt in this carriage... Oh, him with his silk hat and his him pocket with his watch. silk hat. But they didn't take the bag. No. The two men oh, two called the station master. Oh, they should. And presumably then went directly to the ticket office to get a refund because, I don't know about you, but if I sprang for first class and my lovely duds are covered in blood, I'm expecting my money back. Yeah. I'm expecting yeah. not just my money back, I'm probably expecting a little sweetener to not go to the press about how terrible this, this railway company are, leaving blood everywhere. Probably back then, back now, I think people would be a bit more concerned of where the hell's the body? Mm, it's a good question. It's a good question. Etc. But I assume they've just he just got lobbed off the train. Well, Sid and Harry, it's not their problem anymore. They've done their civic duty and they've reported the fact that there was blood. What have they done with the bag? Uh, they've left the bag, to be fair to them. They've not taken no. any evidence. Oh, I would have. Yeah. I'd have been straight in that bag. Ooh, there's a bag there. He's, the bag. No, they're, they're fellow bank... in their bag. They're fellow bank clerks. There's a bank clerk code of honour. You don't take another bank clerk's bag. How do you know it's a bank clerk's bag? Because it's big enough to carry even the largest stocks and bonds. I, I 
assume that a stock and a bond is like a a big thing. We've got a bit like a, a rabbit. This is this is a bit interesting, actually. Mm. A bit interesting. It might not be. It might be a terrible bit of knowledge, but here you go. Um, my mum's got um, an old. Is it a bond? I think it might have been. It's for it's for in your office, actually. Oh, lovely. Um, that her granddad had. Yeah. It's like for. Oh God! It was. Oh no! It wasn't. It's not. It shares for something after the First World War. Oh, cool. It's from Germany. German shares? Yeah. It's not worth anything. We've looked into it. It's not worth anything. <laughs> oh, that's why I'm but being given it. It's okay. really pretty. We should take a photograph and put it on the put it on our um We will so, so people can see what a share looked like. Uh, you know, I it's mean It's so pretty, it's so ornate, and then it's like some of it's embossed. Mm. It's really mm. nice. And go to town on it, yeah. Yeah. So they they were looking for a bag that could have contained a lot of these okay, lovely things. Bigger than a Gladstone, then. Yeah, mm. I imagine slightly bigger than a Gladstone bag. Yeah, because this, this bit of paper that Mum's going to give us is quite big. Okay, so picture the scene. You're the station master, Mr Greenwood, and you've just been told that in your in your first first-class carriage, right at the front of the train, there's blood and a bag. Mm-hmm. So you're going to go, you're going to observe. So you walked in, mm. and while... The two blokes had only noticed the bag. Mr. Greenwood, he's a bit of a detective. He quickly discovered a blood-stained ivory-handled walking stick. Did the others walk around with their eyes shut? Mm. I mean, they're no Poirot, is all I'm going to say. And a battered beaver top hat. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that's not his top hat. Ah, see, you did listen. I did no, listen. No, it is not. No, that's not his top hat. But it was clear that something significant had happened in the carriage. Oh, yeah, there's been a kerfuffle. Now, in an Agatha Christie novel, mm. this would be the point that the entire train was locked down and a perceptive private investigator, possibly from Belgium, would be called <laughs> to begin interviewing the suspects. Oh, shall I don my moustache right now? Well, you don't need to. Oh. Because that didn't happen, and it didn't happen for two very important reasons. Right, go on. Firstly... At this time, there were no interconnecting doors between carriages. Each carriage could only be accessed from the exterior doors on either side. Yeah. Meaning that both the person who had bled and the person who had caused the bleeding, if they were not the same... Which um, they obviously weren't. Well... I was going to put it out there. They definitely left the train carriage at some point before the two bank clerks had entered it. Yeah. And secondly, it was a train that exclusively catered to rich London businessmen. So there was no excuse for it falling behind schedule just for a few litres of unidentified blood. Yeah, I mean, you know, it could have just had like a major nosebleed, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> well, he's so embarrassed about he's what he'd so done that he ran off about quickly. His, his nosebleed. As soon as the doors opened, he was off down the station mm. like a whippet mm-hmm. and he'd forgotten everything in his mm-hmm. embarrassment. Yeah, possibly. Including somebody else's hat. But instead of stopping the train, what Mr Greenwood did was he rode in the blood-stained possible murder scene carriage to the end of the line at Chalk Farm. Okay. Now, while Mr Greenwood was trying not to touch any of the soft furnishings as he enjoyed his ride, another train was travelling on the line between Bow and Hackney Wick in the other direction Yeah. when the driver noticed what appeared to be a large bundle of rags lying near the tracks. Oh, God. Now, we don't know what this driver's name was, but he was a curious kind of fellow. Mm-hmm. And he decided it was worthwhile stopping his train... <laughs> Mm-hmm. which was probably either transporting poor people or goods. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he didn't mind causing no. a bit of an inconvenience. No, no, there's no rush. 
But he felt it was worthwhile stopping to investigate. Mm. And he was surprised to discover that the rags were none other than Mr Thomas Briggs. You know, the only thing that would make this story even better if he, if he wasn't called Briggs, he was called Biggs. Oh, what? So the Great Train Robbery was just a... a, a, a <laughs> A generational long grudge yeah. for the people who killed. After that, the the Briggs family fell on hard times. They did, they did. And they always blamed trains and the security yeah. thereof. See, wouldn't it just... Wouldn't it just... Uh, there's a few things you're going to love in this story, don't he's worry. He's an R away from greatness, in my mind, already. He's the an man's R away. dying, be fair to him. Uh, dying. Yes, because Briggs had severe head injuries, but was amazingly, still among the living. Oh, my God. He was breathing. Get the poor bastard to our hospital. Oh, no. This is the Victorian age. You don't take people to a hospital. No, just give him a leech. No, actually, this happens in a lot of our things. He called a policeman who immediately did the obvious Victorian thing of having Mr Briggs transported directly to a local pub because that is where anyone who's been the victim of an assault, an attempted murder, seems to get taken rather than a hospital. We'll get just him give to him the a pub. stiff brandy yeah. and just, I don't know, just walk it off. Walk it off, man. You're fine. <laughs> After three, four brandies, he was probably feeling a bit better, but yeah. not for the right reasons. In case you're interested, the pub that they took him to was called the Mitford Arms in Bow. Oh. And it was only demolished in 2015, which is a shame because we could have visited it otherwise. Oh. Though by that time it was called the Top of the Morning. And no. I presume Irish themed. Oh no, it was a shitty Irish pub. Oh. Yeah. I hate it when they do that. Like I love an Irish pub if it's a proper Irish pub. If that was what it was in in If its that's conception. what it was, if that's what it has always been. Or, you know, it's a pub in Ireland. A proper Irish pub. <laughs> but don't just slap a shitty name on it and call it Irish. Good god. Uh, you do get the feeling that the Irish don't have English-themed pubs knocking around. Why would they? They'd smell like B.O. and farts. Now that people can't smoke in them. Yeah, here's our, here's our lovely rendition of a Weatherspoons. Oh, God. Mm. No, no, no. Other if pubs you're are available. Do, other, pub, other pub brands are available. Slug and lettuce. <laughs> um, yeah, if you're going to do like an English pub, no, it'd have to be like a proper smoky, dark, hasn't been renovated for about, oh, 50, 60 years. Mm. The leather chairs have got arse indents and are kind of like, we don't actually know what the real colour is because it it kind of looks brown and red in okay. different areas. Maybe some bleached. The table's got carvings in it. And it's always slightly tacky to it's the It's always sticky. The bar, you don't put your elbows on it. And God forbid you put your bag down on it because you ain't getting that back. It's like, it's the, it will just be claimed by the stickiness. Mm. You know, the drip tray is awful. But the, <laughs> but the <laughs> just, just it makes me get that. But, you know, the beer's brilliant and the chat's brilliant and the drunken people in there are brilliant. And less gropey. And less gropey than in a Weatherspoons. And the lighting's nicer and there's a fire roaring even in the middle of summer. Even when they don't have a fireplace. Even when they don't, yeah, there's somebody set a chair on fire. And, you know, that's a proper English pub to me. Weatherspoons is not, it's just, I, I don't even know what they are. The plastic pubs, that's what they are. Well, Mr Briggs, he spent the next 24 hours in the pub. Mm-hmm. But he was not able to sample even one of the large selection of ales before he died of his injuries 
at 11.45pm, 1864. Do you know what, right? That's that policeman's fault. I'm blaming him, poor bastard. Poor Mr Briggs. You're blaming the policeman for what? Taking him to the nearest Taking him to the pub and not the hospital. I don't know where the nearest hospital would be. It's probably, let's get him to the nearest warm building that's open. Then at least call a bastard doctor. I believe they did call a doctor. I don't think they just laid him on a table in the snow. Yeah, snug. I just I just reckon they've just got one of them bonquet seats, right? They just stuck him in the corner, Jeff on one side, Gary on the other, and they just made him drink, or at least tried to, and then poor bastard bled. A bit of his skull was missing. He wasn't coming back from this. I'm still I'm blaming the policeman for that. That's negligence. I don't think a hospital would have helped, to be fair. I think this was essentially the Victorian version of a hospice. Let's make him comfortable while he dies. <clears throat> anyway. We'll agree to disagree on that point, Joe. With Mr Briggs's death, though, the police suddenly found themselves with a very, very high-profile case. Yes. Because Murder on not the Orient Express. Not only that, this was the first murder ever to have taken place on a train in the UK. Oh, and Agatha Christie was going, yes, bitches, there's a story in this. I don't think she was quite alive at the time, but if had she been, she would have. How do you know? How, what, how do I know she wasn't alive? When did she write the stories? Google her. Um, she was alive in like the <coughs> 1960s. She, yeah, but was she an old lady in the 60s? Yes, but... When, she was, bo- when she, was she born? Yes, but this is 1864 and she was alive in the 1960s. Okay, maybe she wasn't alive. If well, even if she was alive and had lived <laughs> to the age of a hundred, which she didn't, I doubt no. as like a two-year-old Agatha Christie was already, you know, into her ovra of being a. Uh, okay, you make writer. a point. You make a point. But anyway, you the police are now left with this serious case. Mm-hmm. They quickly swung into action and made contact with Mister Briggs's wife and daughter at their home in Clapton Square. Incidentally, this has no bearing on the. Uh, on the rest of the story, they were both called Mary. See, this is interesting because only ever so often you get a Mary. Mm. We didn't. I, I didn't go to school with any Marys. Did you go to school with a Mary? Of course, I didn't. No, it's just like, well, you're Joseph, and those biblical names. No, don't laugh. Don't laugh. Are you saying I missed out on my soulmate? Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> I'm just saying that those biblical names—they never truly go away, and they do crop up. Hmm. Well, there are two Marys in this, and the Marys confirmed that Thomas's pocket watch had been stolen. Duh. Along with some, but by no means all, of his money. Okay. They also confirmed that the hat found in the carriage did not belong to Briggs. No, he had but, a silk one. Yes, because his fancy silk hat must have been taken by the assailant as an upgrade to his own. God, imagine mugging a poor bastard for his hat. I don't think he mugged him for his hat. I think he was just a fashion-conscious... Assailant who's like, mm. you know, it's like he was a dandy highwayman. I've already bashed his we brains have... in and chucked him off of, of a train. I may as well whip his hat. Speaking of dandy highwaymen, we have actually covered the dandy highwayman. We did, yes, in series one of the podcast. So year one of the podcast, I believe it was, because mm. I remember him in the first colour way that yeah. we did. So, yeah, if you want to... John Ran. John Ran. I was just going to ask you, if you fancy listening to the tale of the dandy highwayman, or John Ran, uh, recorded by Joe and his brother Jack. Oh, was it Jack? It was Jack. Oh, fantastic. The police 
developed a working theory that aside from being a dedicated follower of fashion, the murderer had entered the carriage at the station between Fenchurch and Hackney Wick while Thomas Briggs was dozing. As a 69-year-old man is wont to do after a large slap-up meal. Oh, you know. He then picked up the ivory-tipped cane to beat Briggs, snatching the pocket watch and a few notes before throwing him off the train. So if the carriage could only be accessed from the outside, Mm -hmm. which I think I know the carriages you're on about, he would have at least passed a time of day with him. Well, no, if, if Briggs had got on at one station and he was dozing and this guy, the assailant, had walked past and seen what looked like a very well-to-do gentleman who was asleep with a gold pocket watch on display, a bag that was easily rummageable, he might have seen it as an opportunity and slipped on. Mm, And then when he went to grab something, if Briggs started waking up, panic, grab the stick, not realise it's ivory tipped, hit him over the head, think you've killed him and go, shit, best get rid of the evidence. No, I think he meant to kill him. Well, we'll see. We will. But I'm going to suggest that he meant to kill him. But having found the bag was actually empty. Oh, no. What a boob. The working theory was he left the train quickly as it pulled into Hackney Wick Station. Yes. Mm. Very quickly in not his hat. In not his hat. With a pocket watch that wasn't his. And no way of having washed potentially bloody hands. Hmm. Well, you and they say... wore a lot of the, the like me. They wore a lot of like black and white shirts. Mm. The black not not as noticeable, but a white shirt and very red blood that would... it would show. <laughs> but we, you know, maybe he held the the cane right at the very end, and he stood back. Yeah, but you wouldn't get the swing on it then. You wouldn't have the power. How You'd much... get a whipping motion, but you wouldn't get power through. That. How much power do you need to crack an old man's skull? Surely they're like, <coughs> you know, it's like a hard boiled egg at that point. I don't know. Did he have hair? I like to think he didn't, but a big bushy beard. See, I like to think he had like the old man hair, where it was like slightly thinning. But you could he see still... the skull through it. Yeah, but he still had like a little sweep. Uh, maybe. Yeah, we'll go with that. Figuring that the murderer had been seeking to get some quick money, the police wondered if he or she might try to pawn the watch, and as a result, they began canvassing pawnbrokers in the local area. It's not a bad idea. It's competent policing, isn't it? Well, for the time. Mm. For now for now times, actually. But let's not go into that. And that is why, on the 11th of July, they entered the shop of a Mr John Death. In not Diath. John Death. Not Definitely not Diath, which is an actual name. It may be, but I prefer John Death. Okay, Mr Death. In Cheapside. Okay, nice... And pleasingly to my macabre sensibilities, yes, it turned out that the murderer had indeed gone to see Mr. Death to pawn the gold watch chain that was wow. confirmed to have belonged to Mr. Briggs. Okay. Though strangely for someone who apparently needed money quick, he then bought a different gold chain that was only slightly less expensive because he was trying to avoid detection, mm. but he wanted to keep the gold watch and look fancy. Right, so he'll now be in some kind of logbook or register... Because that's how they used to do it back then. Yes, but he hadn't signed it with his own name because there was no way of forcing someone to show ID. You just expected to sign your name on trust. But Yeah, but this man's this man is now coming across a little bit incompetent, so I just imagine he'd put his real name. He did not. However, Mr Death could describe the man. Mm-hmm. He was slightly built, 
late 20s to early 30s, and with a pronounced German accent. Ah, yeah. the Germans, yeah. It appears so. Oh, gosh. Right. Which I think you'll agree is a great start to the investigation. Well, it is, as long as the guy isn't putting on an accent as we both just did. Very, <laughs> very badly. But way back when, you could go, okay, that's a passable... Hello, my name is Smith Ulrich von Baum. That's a much better one. That's actually... Sounds German. Should have gone <laughs> I know, with that. right? I know, right? Unfortunately, that was where the investigation stalled. Mm. Because he was he not, in fact, British, putting on a German accent? No, he wasn't. He was German. Oh, well, okay. Despite appeals in the press, no one came forward with any useful information. That, oh, he slipped the net. That was until the reward of £300 was offered. Juicy. Which is the equivalent to around 15 grand today. It's oh, not a bad little reward. That's not bad. That's not bad. And it was made up of money from the police, the mm. newspapers, who jumped on the story because they found it shocking. Oh, the good old rags. Why not? And the North London Railway themselves, who weren't exactly pleased about having the reputation for being that railway where a person no. got murdered on it. No, once. it's it's not really the rep you want, is it? Especially when, obviously, he's not the only rich businessman travelling the rail mm. as, you know, first and second class only. And, yeah. you know, let's keep away the riffraff. And that happened on their train Ooh. and not the frigging riffraff train. You yes, know, like, what? the West London Railway were like, the new posters were, West London Railway, zero confirmed murders. Yeah. Not on our trains. Yeah. <laughs> Get to where you're going with your head. Nimbies. Shortly after the uh, reward was announced, though, on July 18th, a cab driver called Matthews entered a police station to say that he was pretty sure he knew who the murderer was. Interesting. Mm. How did he know? Tell me forth. Well, he told the police that he had a friend with the ultimate German name of Franz Muller. Yeah, that is very German. It's mm. almost as good as Ulrich von Baum, but mm. not quite as good. Franz was a tailor from Cologne who had come to England to make his fortune. Right. And was he not quite making that fortune? Well, the thing is, he was a bloody good tailor by all accounts, and he'd managed to secure work with a company called Hodgkinson's, which had premises on Threadneedle Street. Ooh, now. Only uh, only one down from... (laughs) Bear with. It'll come. Oh, where's the bloody... It begins with an S. Savile Row. Savile Row! Jesus Christ! Well, what else is on Threadneedle Street? The uh, old lady of Threadneedle Street. Bank. The Bank of England. Yeah, I know, but you... He was working on premises right next door to the Bank of England. Okay. Normally, you would have thought, working in such a swanky area of London, he'd be making money hand over fist. Yeah. And he'd be able to live in the manner to which he aspired. Yeah. Unfortunately, his timing was a bit off. Aww. You see, just over a decade before, the Singer sewing machine had been invented in America. And by the 1860s, it had become the largest manufacturer of sewing machines in the world. Wow. With plans to build a factory in the UK, in Glasgow, which was eventually completed in 1867. The sewing machine and its mass production pushed down manufacturing costs of clothes and encouraged housewives across the country to modify and fix their own outfits rather than engaging the expertise of a tailor such as Franz. 
meaning that although he had landed a dream job in the centre of London, the wages were barely subsistence level. So what you're saying is that he's not a tailor. He is a tailor. He is a tailor. And he's working in a place where normally he would have expected a good wage, but because they're now competing with the cheaper clothes that are made using the Singer sewing machine, they're having to reduce their own wages to still make a profit. Yeah, but going back to Savile Row, I mean, mm. there is nothing on there but suit makers. Mm. Yes. And everyone has their favourite, so... Mm. Franz worked for a very good tailors, but he was not making a lot of money. All right, okay, fair enough. And this angered Franz. And you can imagine that his feelings of being cheated by society were only exacerbated by the fact that his daily commute to and from work forced him to rub shoulders with rich investment bankers. Mm. This is in the middle of the city of London, so he's walking around going, I've learned a skill, I've spent years training, I am talented. And then he sees loads of people walking past who are just like, I told people to invest in this. Now I have all of the money. He's like, these talentless... Yeah, what are they actually doing? They have no discernible skill. I I make things and they just, they just move, move numbers. I was going to say, they move numbers from one spreadsheet to... Well, yeah, yeah, they'll still have spreadsheets, won't they? So, you know, from one spreadsheet to another spreadsheet. So it's just I ridiculous. Can, I can move numbers too. I own an abacus. Yeah. So he was, he was very... Um, disgruntled with with his place in society yeah i can i can i can take that but you can't take somebody's life just because you're miffed Mm. i mean you can but it turns you into a bit of a dick well he he became disillusioned with london is what happened and he decided then well that's what he decided okay he agrees with you he thought his only hope was to move to america and to make his fortune there instead because it's the oh. land of opportunity. Never mind the fact it's the origin of the Singer sewing machine. Maybe he was going over there to burn down the Singer sewing machine factory. Maybe he was. And it's it's not the land of opportunity. Well, it was back then. We're talking about it's just after the gold rush and uh, all of that. So the West still, there's the draw of the West and the creating your own life. Yeah, I do get that. But it, it's it's only, you know, the land of opportunity for, just like everywhere else, the rich people and, you know, born into that. Well, he was white enough. He would have been fine. Unfortunately, yeah, there's lots of Germanic people over there. There's massive German communities over there. Mm. And he was white German. Oh, yes. All right, okay. Unfortunately, his wages were so low that he'd been struggling to make enough money to buy passage on a crossing. Oh. Matthews, the cab driver, though, told the investigators that Franz had visited him on the morning of the 14th of July to announce completely out of the blue that he had finally found enough money and would be leaving by boat for the USA as soon as possible. Oh dear, so inverted commas, he'd found it he'd in found somebody it. else's bag. He, he found it <laughs> just lying there on a 69-year-old person. Yeah. <laughs> that he then beat. Well, allegedly beat. Alleged. During that visit to speak to Matthews, though, and to bid a fond farewell to his friend... Mm-hmm. Uh, Franz had given Matthew's daughter a little box to play with, because apparently kids were much easier to amuse back then. Kids still like boxes. Don't Mm. be silly. Well, this was a small, quite dainty box, marked as being from Mr Death's jewellery shop. And Matthew's also noticed that Franz was suddenly in possession of a rather fancy gold pocket watch. Like too fancy. Like too fancy for Franz, yes. Well, I wouldn't say too fancy, but definitely it was a gold pocket watch he'd never noticed Franz had had before. 
And I'm guessing he was doing that thing where he kept coming up with an excuse to check the time. Like, oh, I oh, wonder if... Like when you just had your nails did and suddenly it's just like every excuse and you're touching your hair and you're, oh, have you seen this? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. suddenly start pointing at things with your pinky like they do yeah. on QVC. Yeah. <laughs> Never have I walked into a shop and not used the index finger but gone for the pinky. It's mm. a weird point. It's it's very odd. I do it sometimes just to freak people out. Yeah, I know you do. Mm. It is odd. It is odd. If you ever want to weird somebody out, either go into an elevator and stand at the front. That freaks people out. Instead of going to the back, mm. you stand at the front. Or point to things with your pinky finger because pe- people will be instantly weirded out by that. Mm. I am. I think your ring finger would be even weirder. But there you go. <laughs> Despite it only being circumstantial evidence, because it is, he may have bought himself a nice gold watch. The fact that he has a German accent, there were more than there was more than one German in London at the time. The fact that he'd been to Mr. Death's jewellery shop, it was a good shop. The police were certain that Franz was their man. And the investigators took a photo provided by Matthews and headed to the docks to ask all the companies who provided a transatlantic service. Mm. Have you seen this man? It is imperative you tell me. Have you seen this man? And had they? The good news was, yes. One of the workers did indeed recognise Franz Muller as having bought a ticket for a crossing. The bad news was that the ship in question, the Victoria... Oh, well. May she sail well. Yes. uh, ...had set off for New York on the 15th meaning that the investigators were a full three days behind. Ugh, classic. Hmm? (laughs) Classic British, yeah. Well, it presented a bit of a problem, as you can imagine. And the first policeman, full of piss and vinegar, threw off his clothes down to his long johns, dove into the Thames and began swimming with great haste towards the channel. God, now there's another episode. He was never seen again. Yeah, if (laughs) there's another episode. If you want to ever know what's in the Thames, on the Thames, under the Thames, over the Thames, round the Thames, we did... The Thames Omnibus. The Thames Omnibus. Again, first series it was one of the first things we put up it's two and a bit years old now yeah it's very 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 funny though if we do say so ourselves and you it, say so is this because you were the guest on this i one? was the guest yeah, on that one so it was exceedingly funny but the policemen um, who yeah. you know didn't want to throw away their lives in a fruitless gesture why the smell alone would tell you not to jump in it stinks even now they realized that even if they chased him down, because he was likely to reach America and American soil, they would need to get an extradition order signed by a judge from England to take to the American courts to request that he was brought back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, again, that sounds like it's going to be time-consuming, but there was a glimmer of hope given to these investigators. Uh, Was it shiny? Because although the man had said, yes, he got onto a ship and he's on his way to America... Because Franz had decided not to sell his gold watch, I'm going to call it Franz's gold watch because, you know, possession is nine-tenths of the law. Mm. Because he decided not to sell Briggs's gold watch, yeah. he'd only be a- been able to afford the super, super economy ticket for his trip. Yeah. Which was still a rather pricey four pounds or 550 quid today. Is that what he... That was the economy ticket that he bought. So he beat a man to death with a cane... Mm. For four quid. Yeah. 
I'm guessing there was slightly more than four quid. Sake, Bridget. But... <laughs> In 1864, an economy crossing of the Atlantic meant that the boat he was making the journey on had no engine and was entirely reliant on sail. Yes. Yes. As a result, though, there was a chance that the police could beat France to New York by booking a passage on a steam-powered boat. Yeah. The next available was called the City of Manchester. Yay! So naturally it was sailing out of Liverpool. Classic. And it was sailing on the 20th which left police less than a day to collect enough evidence to convince a judge to grant an extradition order before they would have to catch an express train to Liverpool and make the connection to the ship. Could they do it? I imagine I'm 70s, 70s. Starsky and Hutch style. Yeah. Imagine them jumping over a hackney carriage, sliding over the horses. Over the horse and away. (laughs) They don't have time. They're whipping the driver while he whips the horses. Come on. Stop whipping me. I shall not. There's a murderer at the loose. Who knows who he'll beat to death next? The task of collating and transporting the evidence was given to Chief Inspector Richard Tanner and his able assistant, George Clark. Yet ah, another Clark. Tanner and Clark. Tanner and Clark. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Poo poo, Starsky and Hutch. No, no, Tanner and Clark. Tanner and Clark, Victorian PD. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there they go. It writes <laughs> itself. It writes itself. Oh, Two Christ. of the best moustaches you've ever seen oh, on a human God, face. Oh, my God, what you could imagine now. Wider than their own head. Firstly, they took their souped-up carriage to Muller's house, where they asked the landlady, Miss Ellen Blith, if she recognised the hat that had been found in the carriage, the beaver top hat. Oh, yeah, the beaver hat. She confirmed it was the hat of Mr Muller. And he he always wore it when he was off to town. Looks a loody! They got her to sign her (laughs) statement. Right, I'm not being funny. I know know they're kind of like, you know, trying to to get the guy and all the rest of it. Mm. One hat is very much like the other. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, even back then, I'm I'm not sure I'd be able to pick with one the... beaver hat up out of a lineup and but... say, yes, it's definitely that one. I bet my kids' lives on that. I bet you she turned it up and went, look, he's written Muller in the brim. Yeah. And they went, God, we missed that. God. Get it together, Clark. Sorry, Tanner. <laughs> <laughs> so they got the signatures and they're away. Yeah. Yeah. They're away to the next places. I wish the dear reader, listener, reader, could could see the the dance that we now have going on every time we say Tanner and Clark. I imagine they've got high energy. Yeah. And next, they headed to see Mr. Death and Matthews. Definitely Diaz. To get the written statements as well. So they could slap them down in front of the judge. Boom on the table. Yeah, I imagine now there's a clock in the corner. It's, it's ticking, it's ticking, it's ticking down, it's ticking down. Though as well as having the written statements, yeah. the two policemen decided that it would probably be best if they also took the men themselves as they would be able to provide testimony in person to the judge in New York if Muller was indeed the murderer. So they took the statements from uh-huh. Mr Death and from um, Matthews and said, actually, do you know what would be more compelling? If you picked him out of a lineup. But yeah. you'll have to do that in America. Come on, guys. In the carriage. We're off to Liverpool. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. 
the two men were initially rather reticent about going all the way to New York just to point at a man. Yeah, I can imagine, like, people back there... I mean, travel was... It was for the rich and not for everybody. And, you know, the crossings were not great. And, you know, Hmm. if you're not working, you're not making. You know what I mean? And all that. And Tanner and Clark, they understood this. Hmm. But they'd been given a blank check to bring this bastard to justice. Wow. So what they did was they said to Dr. To Doctor Death, to Mr. <laughs> Death, I've promoted him. They said to Mr. Uh, Death and Matthews, don't you worry, guys. If you come with us, it's all expenses paid, baby. You're going to New York. You're going to go to New York. You're going to New York. And as it was all expenses paid, the two blokes went, yeah, yeah all right then. then. Oh, we've got another, we've got another duty, duty. We've got another duo. Yeah. So we've got Tanner and Clark and we've got Death and Matthews. Yeah. They're a bit more bumbly, I imagine. They're sort of more They're the Laurel and Hardy. Borrel and Hardy. Borrel and Hardy. <laughs> Borrel and Harpy, you know. Those good guys. <laughs> the quartet left London on the morning of July 19th with a freshly signed extradition request in their hand luggage. Managing to make the connection with the steamship and setting off for America on July 20th only 11 days after the murder had taken place. Mm. Which is not bad going. I feel that they've done a good job here. Yeah, I mean, the wheels of justice don't half turn slow, even now. Mm. We've got computers and, you know, records, like proper records, I mean, and we've got forensics and stuff, and it still takes bloody ages. Mm. Now, although the first reliable transatlantic telegraph cable would not be operational until 1867... Yeah. The news of the murder and of the suspect's flight towards America had reached New York before either of the ships. The entire affair was considered so sensational that it managed to push the goddamn American Civil War itself off the front pages. Wow. Despite the fact that it coincided with an ongoing attempt by the Confederates to capture Washington, D.C. Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's how much people love a juicy murder. Hannah and Clark, the original crime-fighting duo. Do you know what? I'm I'm promoting them. They're they're now some of my (laughs) favourites. Hannah and Clark. On a boat. (laughs) On a boat! (laughs) On a steam-powered boat. You know, they're still wearing the stovepipe hat. Yeah, still the stovepipe hat. Still the the WAPO moustache. But the Hawaiian Hawaiian shirt. shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Like Magnum P.I. No, I can't breathe. (laughs) (laughs) Chief Inspector Tanner... Now blending in seamlessly in a pair of Levi's and cowboy boots. (laughs) And his motley crew. (laughs) (laughs) They arrived in New York City on August 5th. (sighs) Did they? They did. Okay. Tanner and Clark immediately went to the company offices. Okay. Woo-hoo. I think we may have broken Emma. I'm so sorry. It's all right. The mental image I have is just outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to draw it. I'm going to have to. 
Oh, please draw your image of Tanner and Clark. They're going to be the ident for this episode. Tanner and Clark, they immediately went to the company offices of the company that owned the Victoria. Go on. To see if they had managed to get there before France, because... This this bolt across the Atlantic may all have been for naught if oh, the Victoria had made it. It could have been. After a tense scan of the register. And you can imagine oh, close up Tanner's face yeah, sweat. There's, oh there's beads, there's beads now, there's beads now. The music's changed. Mm. Oh, oh it's gone what? serious. It's gone serious. After a tense scan of the register, Go the clerk, then. yet another clerk, but this time the shipping clerk, mm-hmm. confirmed that the Victoria was still en route what was expected any day now. Oh, my God, they made it. Mm. They did it. Tanner, he breathed a huge sigh of relief. And he asked that he was informed post-haste at his hotel as soon as the sail of the ship was sighted in New York Harbour. Mm -hmm. Then they waited. I just imagine they're now... (laughs) You know when they do a stakeout? Yeah. He's there with a telephoto lens looking (laughs) out of the harbour. Yeah. Like a hackney cap. <laughs> and he's hackney. <laughs> now this will be an American hackney, so this will be oh. wide, chrome. Yeah. <laughs> chrome spoiler. They're good. What snacks? In, in this day? Well, I suppose they would have access to lots of lovely Italian snacks. Yeah. It's New York. Yeah, yeah. But they waited. <laughs> and waited. And waited. And all the while, you know, while they're in the Hackney cab doing the stakeout, I assume Mr. Death and Matthews, they were maxing out the agreed expense account. Oh, I imagine, I imagine they they took that cheque, that empty cheque, and they slapped it down at a hotel, the fancy most hotel. And they're they're essentially Macaulay culking the shit out of that. Well, they had enough time to have a rather lovely holiday. Presumably at some point forgetting that they were there to be witnesses uh, mm. in a potential murder investigation. And they were just, you know... With the potential that they're just going to disappear because they're in such a damn good time. Yeah. They're now like bezies. Yeah, they're, they've gone full Native American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. walking here. They've bought the hat. Yeah, oh yeah. They've bought the shoes, they've bought the duds, mm. and they're off. They've got a belt buckle that's oh, God, the what? size of a small continent. And, and, because there's no gun laws yet... Oh, pew, pew. Yeah. They've now got side shoes. Shoot from the hip. It was a full two weeks until what? until the Victoria, which had had a significant, you know, head start, limped into port. It was not a good ship. The fact that it made it across was a bit of a miracle. Oh my god! I now imagine it's like um, Kate Winslet on that door, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with the bloomers as a sail. Mm-hmm. It turned out that the steamship had overtaken the Victoria before it had even left sight of Ireland. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So they've gone, like, full 1970s. Yeah, they've gone, like, 500 miles further than they needed to to catch this ship. Yeah, they could have They could have literally headed it off at Ireland and mm. sent it back to port. Yeah. Waving the docket high. Excuse me. <coughs> but it wouldn't have been as much fun. British justice here. Yeah. They could have put the judge on the boat. Tanner requested to be taken out to the Victoria before it had even docked, and he arrested Muller immediately. I bet they bloody did. A hastily organised identity parade took place on the dockside, 
where both Mr. Death and Matthews confirmed the identity oh, of Franz Muller. Then. Yeah. They dragged them out of an all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> I was going to say, they were either knee-deep in prostitutes or food. One uh, or the well, other, or both. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Um, I mean, I'm casting aspersions on the characters there massively, but I'm just assuming. <laughs> why not? Well, they would had just kept themselves the right side of sober that they could actually point to Franz Muller without swaying too much. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Oh, so it was definitely him. Mm. So... Matthews confirmed everything that he had about the evidence of the crime, mm-hmm. um, which rather damningly for Franz included that the gold watch was found on his person at the time of his arrest. Oh, God. And Mr. Death was able to confirm that that was the same gold watch that had been brought into him and had the chain changed. The chain which he had... Chain, chain, chain. Which had been confirmed by Mr. Briggs's wife and daughter, the two Marys, was attached to his pocket watch when he'd oh, left the house that morning. My God. Oh, so it's Jesus. pretty damning. I mean, we've had pretty much everything in this story so far. I mean, we've had we've had a death. We've had we've had the who done it. We've had the crime fighting duo of the century. Mm. We've had a chase. We have. We've had. Are they going to make it? Are they not going to make it? I mean, it, it's got all the makings of an amazing epic TV show. It gets even better because not only did he have the gold pocket watch on his person, mm. but he just so happened to be wearing a silk top hat oh when he was caught. Oh my God, he's wearing the hat. What a twang. Not entirely because he'd modified the top hat. He'd cut it down to around half the height in a more rakish style because Franz Muller, after all, was a tailor and the nearly month-long voyage he'd been on had gotten a bit boring. So he decided so he to decided modify to his top hat. Chop his topper in half. He'd halved his chopper. His topper. He'd chopper topper. He'd done a topper chopper. He's done a topper chopper. Yeah. He'd chopper that topper. Even with all of this evidence, though, there was still a chance that a New York judge could refuse the extradition just cause. Yeah. After all, you know, the Americans and the English weren't getting on great. We don't really. We're. I mean, we're not in a wink away from being. Enemies. Enemies again. We're frenemies at best. And if this happened, if the extradition was refused, Franz would be able to disappear into the confusion of the civil war, reinvent himself. And even if another extradition order was, you know, issued, the they'd chances of find finding him, him I was gonna say they'd never find him. Vanishingly slim. So this is it. This is it for Tanner and Clark. I mean, Either they bring if he him had back or anything about him, he'd make his way towards the mountains and he'd never be seen again. Mm. I think that was his plan. Mm. It took two weeks of deliberating. So, Mr. Death. They're a month in. They're a, yeah, they've had they're a month of fun. They're they, They've forgotten their old lives. Yeah, that's dead to me now. Yeah, there's dust <coughs> in the windows, in the window displays of his mm. jeweller's shop. This is the port. This is and the Matthews, he's, he never wants to be a cab driver again. No, he doesn't. Or maybe he took up being a cab driver in New York. He got himself a hackney, he painted He's it bright yellow. He's a driver in New York. Had it painted bright yellow, checkerboard. Oh, oh, he's man. <laughs> but at this point, what is Tanner's mm. and Clark doing? I mean, this is this is the point in the TV show. They've rolled up their sleeves. They've got the head in the hand. There's a cigarette. No, they're, they're, they're camped out, out in the courtroom. 
that's what arguing I mean. it with everyone. This is what I mean. This is the where you do that montage of all the work, the, the shouting, the yeah. shouting without any shout because they're playing the music and there's filters and there's sleeves rolled up and there's shaking of heads and they're eating Chinese from say, the boxes. Great yeah. Chinese food out the boxes and they're slapping the table. That's that moment. I'm telling you, that's, Finally, that's the moment if, we got up If you to. imagine now you've got a clearly sleep-deprived Tanner. Yeah, oh, his eye bags are hanging. He stood in front of the judge, and finally, on September the 3rd, 1864, mm-hmm. it was agreed that the extradition of Muller could take place. They would release Jesus Muller Christ. into the custody of Tanner and Clark. Yeah, I'm not sure why it took so long. It was... Like you say, that you know, the wheels clothes. of justice move slowly. Yeah, they do. They do move very slowly. Mr. Death and Matthews finally had to say goodbye to room service and as much alcohol as they could stomach. The prostitutes, the friends they'd made. Promising to write, never did. Never did. Returning back to London on September the 17th, 1864. Mm. Muller was held until his trial on October 24th. This had given the prosecution enough time to find the ticket collector who could place Muller on the same train as Briggs, as well as all of the other evidence that they'd amassed creating a pretty convincing narrative of events. I mean, for the day, I mean, people could get, you know, prosecuted for all sorts of crimes and sentenced and all the rest of it on very little evidence, really, let's be honest. Yeah, but Muller did have a defence planned. Go on. He said that Matthews, the cab driver, one of the key witnesses who had implicated him, had only come forwards because he wanted to collect the reward money. Well, he might do, but he still come forward and he still mm. could pick him out. Yeah, it was patiently pointed out to the defence team that this was literally the point of offering a reward. Yes. So they moved on to the second defence. OK. This was to claim that Muller had been with a lady of the night called Mary Ann Eldred. OK. However, the only evidence of this that they could provide was a letter that he had sent saying that he wanted to visit her at some time on the evening of the murder. Right. So he he's like, I was with her all night. And they went, do you have evidence? Maybe she will come and confirm this story. And he went, I have this letter that I sent to her saying I wanted to see her on the night of the 10th of July. Right, well, that doesn't place you there, do, though, mm. does it, my love? It, it, just, it just says you wanted to be there. Mm. There's place, plenty of places I have wanted to be other than the place that I've been in. Yeah. Well, the jury weren't convinced. No, I wouldn't be convinced. Especially, as I say, because Mary Ann herself, she didn't turn up to corroborate the alibi. I bet she bloody didn't. No. Well, was there any money? No. After a three-day trial, Franz Muller was found guilty of the murder of Thomas Briggs and sentenced to death by hanging. Oh, no. Now, there were some rumours that King Wilhelm of Prussia, later Kaiser Wilhelm, him of the... No, him yes. the World War One leader Kaiser Wilhelm with the cockatiel. Yeah, that he might right. intervene to have the sentence commuted, mm. but it never came to pass. And on Aww. November the fourteenth, Franz Muller was walked to the scaffold outside of Newgate Prison in front of a apparently very drunk crowd of nearly fifty thousand people. Oh my God! Yeah, but this is like the first one, Joe. Murder on the train. I know it's the first murder on the train. Bear in mind, though, all the press reports, very drunken crowd. It was 8am. These were people who had not bothered going to bed and had just powered through tactical chunder on the way to Newgate. <laughs> chunder. 
chunks on the shoes. Yep. Oh, man. We've all been there, but it's not a clever thing to do. That's a lot of very hungover workers, is all I'm going to say. Although he had maintained his innocence since his arrest in New York, it is reported that as he stood with the priest over the trapdoor, he whispered, Ikhabe es Gethen, which apparently means, I have done it, which was taken as a confession. Ikhabe. Ikhabe es Gethen. Can you show me? And no. I'll, I'll, I can read German. G-E-T-H-A-N. Ikhabe Gethen. It's Armageddon. Ikhabe Gethen. I have done it. Yeah. Which they took, like I say, as a confession, although he may have been saying that he'd soiled himself in terror. You know, I I have done it is quite a... It's, it's hardly a very clear confession, if that's what it was. No, I mean, there's quite a lot of wiggle room for interpretation as to what he meant, because remember also that there's... Uh... Well, the priest at some point would have asked, "Would you have you made peace with God? With yeah, God? I have done it. I've done it, yeah. Have you made peace with your God? Have you, you know... Did have, you remember to go to the bathroom? You know, have you had a nice last meal? Mm. I have done it. I have done it. Um, because as well, translation isn't absolute. Mm. So It's a bit of an art as well as a science. Yeah, it's mm. like there's a lot more English words than German words, for example. We They double up quite a lot. Mm. But this those were his last words. Okay. Before William Calcraft, my friend and yours, pulled the lever yes. and left him dancing over oblivion. Jesus Christ. Did we do Colcraft? Yes, we've done Me and you. No, I know we as I a think podcast, I did it with Ollie. Was it an Ollie one? Because I, I don't remember Ollie doing Colcraft. The spectacle of a German dangling off a rope excited the drunk crowd to the point that they decided to indulge in some light rioting before lunch. And the scenes are thought to have been a contributing factor to the decision to ban all public executions less than four years later. Wow. Okay. So like... We really can't have 50,000 drunk idiots smashing up an area of London every time we hang someone. Have they never been to a Millwall match? (laughs) Well, you don't get 50,000 at a Millwall match. (gasps) Oh, sick burn. It's true. I don't think the New Den... To be fair, I don't think they can fit 50,000 people in the New Den. However, that was not the only lasting impact that Franz Muller's crime would have in Britain. Go on. In response to the murder, train companies decided to add a means for passengers to alert staff that they might be in distress, eventually settling on the communication cord system. Oh, wow. The emergency cable. They also began the development of a means of moving between carriages so that staff could could patrol the entire train while it was moving. So they they set it up, the joining between the... Yeah. This was all due... To the fear of wow. these kinds of closed environments where murders could well, happen. Well, I'm not being funny, but if you see that one, you just go, yeah, but he got caught if I did it. I the entire premise of Murder on the Orient Express would not be possible if Without it wasn't this. for Franz Muller. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. What happened to my friend and yours, Tanner and Clark? They just went back to patrolling the mean streets of oh, London. Oh, but what a, what a life story they have to tell. I mean, yeah. that, that thing, every time they go to a party, a family gathering, you know, sat between the two blokes in the I pub. think they dined out on it for a while. Oh, yeah. they're going to dine out with on that one for the rest of their lives. I mean, racing to America to arrest a German. I mean, they're going to dine out on that for years. But I'm not done with the legacy. Go on. 
because I promised you this wasn't just about trains. I said this was about fashion as well, because the most unexpected legacy of Franz Muller was the modified top hat that was used in evidence against him. I did actually know about this bit. It was adopted by the young gentleman of London as a nice little daring way of sticking two fingers up of the establishment, and eventually by a young aristocrat called Winston Churchill. Yeah. Though eventually it lost the name the Mullercut Hat, being renamed, less controversially, the Cambridge by Lock & Co. Hatters to the Stars. Yes. If you have a Lock & Co. hat, because sometimes you get them in the likes of like second-hand shops or antiques places or, you know, maybe one circulating in your family, keep it. They are worth so much money doesn't matter if it fits you doesn't matter if it's too big too small get it in a hat box get it cleaned and keep it they are so expensive well they are currently selling a version of the cambridge called the odd job mm. based off the uh gold finger i was gonna character. say gold finger yeah yes for the low low price of 795 pounds However, if you want a bespoke version of the Cambridge, you will need to contact them directly uh, with prices starting at around a thousand, depending on size of head. That doesn't sound expensive to some for a a bespoke hat. We're talking the Savile Row of hats. Mm. But the um, Victorian ones are worth so much money because it, it was literally your staff of office. It's like I did an entire thesis on this. I think I've brought it up in an episode before. I have actually written a thesis on top hats and bowler hats and the development of, of hats and what it meant because it's so nuanced. It doesn't look it, but even the brim, even having, you know, um, your straight brim versus your curled brim versus your thick brim versus the thin brim versus how wide your stove is versus um oh there's there's so many things it's fascinating but if you do have a lock and co hat please look after it please They're so that is money. the story of the first train murder in britain oh do you know what and the development of the cambridge hat do you know what which are one in the same and, and of same. course the first of many adventures of Tanner and Clark. Do you know what? They are... You can do that better than me. But <laughs> they, they're the true heroes of this story, they as are. far as I'm concerned. And hold tight for the ident. It's going to be absolutely... It's going to be like nothing we've ever done before, the ident for this one. British justice. British you justice. can't escape. <laughs> There's no end to the jurisdiction of true oh. British justice. Tanner will be after you. Hawaiian shirt flapping in the breeze. (laughs) It's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric, here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.